Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name's Bob. As always, I'm hanging out, talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what is going on, my brother? Not much. I just had a nice, fun weekend traveling up the East Coast. I knocked off three more baseball stadiums on my quest to see all 30 baseball parks. I saw the Mets, Red Sox, and Blue Jays. And a little bit of fireworks in that Blue Jays game. Even though I didn't see the actual yeah. brawl, I saw the stuff uh, leading up to it. That's pretty cool. So what you're saying is you did some actual field studying to get ready for this podcast. I did, I did. And actually, I saw some teams that made some trades in the podcast, in this podcast that we're about to talk about. So two of them I think we're going to get to real quickly here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's jump right in. I mean, uh, we're a few days past... August 1st, past the trade deadline, we did a preview a couple of podcasts ago. If you want to check that out, listen to that. And we talked about some of the early moves in our last podcast as well, if you want to listen to that. But now the dust has cleared. Uh, we know where some teams stand. I think this was a crazy baseball trade deadline. Some trades, some of the biggest trades kind of came out of left field. Uh, I want to talk about, the first team I want to talk about is a team that you saw uh, up up north there in Canada, the Toronto Blue Jays. I think uh, time will obviously tell if they are the ultimate winner in the trade deadline, but they definitely improved their team the most, I think. Uh, traded Jose Reyes and some prospects for Troy Tulowitzki to Colorado. Gave up some prospects for David Price, arguably the best pitcher on the market that got moved. Then they picked up two bullpen relief pitchers in Latroy Hawkins and Mark Lowe. I think there's a lot to like about it. There's a lot to be scared about that uh, starting five lineup for the Rocky for the Blue Jays. Oh, and they also picked up Ben Revere from the Phillies, who will be a nice leadoff man and play left field. So, Chris, what do you think about the Blue Jays? Do you like the moves? Do you think they're legit? Do you think this positions them to overtake the Yankees in the East? Love the moves. I think the Blue Jays were close. They still certainly can win the American League East. They are, in fact, the American League East is probably the division that's most up for grabs. So certainly the Blue Jays are right in the hunt for the East, for the wild card. And like you said, I mean, what's not to like about this? You took an offense that was already scoring a ton of runs. I believe they were leading baseball in runs. And you add Troy Tulowitzki, who is about the same or better than Jose Reyes defensively and a lot better offensively. David Price, best pitcher on the market, arguably. We're going to get to some other arms that were dealt real quick. But David Price, I mean, now you've got a bona fide number one pitcher to push R.A. Dickey back in that rotation, who, by the way, is not terrible. He's a solid number two middle guy. But now you've got a legit ace to take some pressure off of that. And Latroy Hawkins was Colorado's closer at one point. And you also had Mark Lowe to add some bullpen depth. So huge trade all around. And and I didn't even mention Ben Revere, who was hitting ninth in the game. I saw him play. They had Tulewitzki lead off. But if he can hit ninth as your sort of secondary leadoff guy, you know, sometimes the managers like to lead off hit and lead off hitter ninth to kind of right. manipulate some at bats. But either way, I mean, there's not much not to like, that, that I don't like here. I think the Toronto Blue Jays saw an opportunity to improve their team. They aggressively went out. They're certainly feeling the pressure of not making the playoffs in a very long time. So hats off to the Blue Jays for, you know, just taking the trade deadline and going with it and going all in. It's not even an all-in move because I think Price is the only guy who they're kind of in danger of losing. These other guys seem like they'll be around for a little bit longer than 2015. Yeah, definitely. Uh, David Price, they probably had to give up the most in terms of future assets. Uh, Daniel Norris, famously known for living out the back of his van, that prized pitcher is the guy that they had to move for him, plus a couple other good young pitching prospects. But Price, man, he's got a 2.53 ERA. That's as good an ERA as he's had since he won the Cy Young in 2012. Uh, he knows what it's like to pitch in the postseason, knows what it's like to be in a playoff race. You know, they, they made the Tulowitzki trade ahead of the deadline, swapping Reyes for Tulowitzki. And that move was met with some lukewarm reaction. It was kind of like, all right, well, you. Tulowitzki is definitely an offensive upgrade over Reyes, but that's not what this team needs. I mean, they, like you said, they're already leading the league in run scored. They had that awesome 1 2 3 combo of Donaldson, Jose Bautista, and Al Canacion. 
uh, you know, what do you, you don't need more right-handed offense. Certainly you'll take it if you can get it. You know, days later they add David Price. And I think that's when obviously everybody was like, all right, the Blue Jays are for real. This is a team going all in. You know, you said R.A. Dickey was their number one pitcher at the time. Really, it was Drew Hutchinson and Mark Burley who were statistically having the best seasons. And, you know, neither of those three pitchers that we that I just mentioned are should be your number one starter. I don't think any of them should be your number two starter. So it's great that the Blue Jays got a bona fide ace, a guy that they can rely on, a guy that's going to pitch them into the postseason. I think it's the path is very clear for them especially considering the two teams ahead of them in the AL East standings as of today are the Orioles and Yankees. Neither of them made a move. So the the, the path is wide open for the Jays to take hold of that AL East spot. I think, I think they're absolutely going to do it. Uh, going a little out of order, let's just talk about the Yankees since we're in the AL East. I mean, not a single move. They were, they were in the league for the division six games ahead and they didn't. They added uh, Dustin Ackley, who is kind of a bona fide poor man's Ben Zobris, can play a lot of positions. Uh, what are your thoughts about them standing pat? That's very unlike the New York Yankees to do when they're in a playoff chase. When was the last time in our lifetime that we had a crazy trade deadline like this and the Yankees weren't at the center of it? I can't think of it. This is completely unlike the Yankees. Usually it's the smaller teams like the uh, Toronto Blue Jays or the Kansas City Royals or Houston that's afraid to give up their prospects and want to hold on to them. I'm not necessarily criticizing the Yankees for doing that because I don't necessarily think it's a bad move. It's just unlike the Yankees to say, hey, we don't want to win this year or we're not going to do everything we can to win this year. The Yankees have such a reputation for going all in every single year, forget the future, win now, and making these big, bold, headlining moves that it's it's just very odd that the Yankees, who had the lead in the AL East, were standing by and watching Toronto making all these moves and not trying to get into the mix themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think they took a risk in staying pat and they fell flat on their faces because 24 hours before the deadline ended, Michael Pineda goes onto the 15-day disabled list. Um, I think if they had that knowledge a few days in advance, they would have advanced talks for one of these pitchers. But that being said, I, even if Pineda was healthy, I think they could have stood to upgrade that rotation. You had some really high expensive guys on the market like Cole Hamels, guys that you could enter a bidding war with only a few teams just because they can't afford to pay Hamill's salary. So I, I think it's really questionable that they didn't get another arm at the deadline and they just kind of opened the door right open for the Jays to come in and take the division that they've been leading for just about the whole summer. And to think that this team has a long window, I, I don't know what they're thinking because the, the Yankees offense is riding what is a resurgent Alex Rodriguez and Mark Teixeira, guys who are battling injury and are both really up there in terms of age. To bet on them doing this two years in a row at this point in their careers, I, it's, it's really foolish of them. So, uh, yeah, it's it's questionable. And, and there are a couple teams that didn't make moves that probably should have. I think the Yankees have to be on top. Certainly the Yankees are on top. I, I just a minor correction, though. Let's not forget that Baltimore did trade for uh, Para of the Milwaukee Brewers to address sort of their outfield needs. Not a huge move. So certainly not on the level of Toronto or some of these other big winners. But, but they did do something. Could be a solid, sneaky move. But again, it's not something that's going to move the needle big time. And Baltimore is kind of a team that... You know, they were in the race. They certainly could win this. We both have thought the AL East is the weakest division in baseball. So they could still win it without making a move, maybe pre all the Toronto craziness. But I think now that Toronto's made all these moves and addressed every level of their team and added some big, really big names, it would be a disappointment if the Blue Jays don't win the AL East at this point. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think the Orioles are just like the Yankees. If they need, if they were going to upgrade anything, it should have been that rotation. They don't have good strong arms at the front. So yeah, I think I think we're both. I mean, you had the Blue Jays in the beginning of the year to win the division. I'm picking them now. I had the Orioles, but I th I think it's the the Jays to lose. Certainly. I mean, I think after you'd make these, you had a guy like Price and Tulowitzki 
at the deadline to an already loaded lineup and a pretty solid team that's in contention, you create expectations. And on Sunday, the Rogers Center was very electric. There was a near sellout crowd. The fans were into it. They have ignited their fan base and, and certainly hope that this futility streak for them of not making the playoffs can end this year because being from Cleveland, you and I certainly know a lot about futility streaks. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> but all right, let's let's uh, let's move to another di- – well, not another div- – this division leader. I think this uh, the Kansas City Royals surprised all of us in uh, going out and getting Johnny Cueto – ahead of the deadline uh you know david price probably the more experienced more talented in terms of consistency pitcher but johnny cueto this season and last season uh, there's you're hard pressed to find a better pitcher in in the whole league than him uh the royals already sitting on top of the al central currently eight and a half games ahead of the minnesota twins 62 and 42 they go out and add Johnny Cueto, go out and get utility man Ben Zobris, who's going to fill in for Alex Gordon in left field. Eventually, he's going to supplant almost all-star Omar Infante at second base. Uh, I I like these moves, too. I think they fill, address two great needs on a team that didn't really need to do anything at the deadline. Well, first off, we need to send out an apology to the Kansas City Royals because we've been kind of disrespecting them all year. Not saying anything bad about them we just haven't been saying much of anything about them we picked them fourth in our preseason podcast we've never really talked about them even though they've been leading the league in wins and in our trade deadline previews we didn't even bring them up as a team that we thought needed to make a move so Kansas City it's finally time for us to give you a little bit of respect Cueto is a huge get for this team I think the one thing they kind of lacked, pitching was always their strong suit, but it was more their bullpen than their rotation. Not that their rotation was bad, but Cueto gives them a bona fide ace, even better than what they had last year in James Shields. So certainly a great move for the Royals to recognize that they have a very small window to contend. Being a smaller market team that also up until last year was marred in a lot of mediocrity over the last couple decades. The time is now. They just went to the World Series. They have a lot of that team back. They're playing at a high level. Get some guys. Add some depth to your lineup and get a bona fide ace. I can't. I'm, I'm very happy for the Royals fans because I love it when my team recognizes that there is a chance to do something special and doesn't let stupid things like the luxury tax or stupid minute things get in the way of getting the guys necessary to contend. And so Kansas City, all your fans should be very happy, very excited that your team was in the driver's seat and went out and got some big guys, not only improving their team, but preventing those guys from going to a rival team. I love what the Royals did, and hopefully they can, hopefully it pays off for them. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that it, that it's not going to work out, especially they have a comfortable lead in the central. They're already clicking on all cylinders to add Johnny Cueto. I think it makes them uh, probably the team to beat in the AL going in, going into the last two months. So I think they were both really great moves. Uh, yeah, I, I feel foolish not picking them or talking about them a whole lot. But to be honest, the whole it's about a year now where the Royals have taken baseball by storm you know they had an incredible second half last year uh, it still people are hesitant to give them credit and they are it's time to it's time to recognize that they are a power in the al central and uh, this year is is no different from last year they are definitely going to be there making plays making games in the playoffs this year so yeah i i feel bad i feel a little dumb not giving them enough love but hey we're amateur podcast makers. We're not. Hey, we weren't the only ones not giving them love. Let's be real. Sports Illustrated picked uh, another team to win the Central too, so it's not like we were the only ones disrespecting the Royals. Don't don't go. We're not going to pull the amateur podcast makers. We weren't the only ones with egg on our face disrespecting the Royals, but it's certainly time to give credit where credit is due. How can you not say they're the team to beat? They've had the best record in the American League for a very long time now. 
they have complete control of the Central Division, and they've only gotten better by adding a bona fide ace and arguably the best utility man in baseball. Not to disrespect Zobris as just a utility man. He's certainly a starter, but he can play a ton of positions, and he's a good bat in your lineup. So hats off to the Royals, and hopefully they just have the necessary luck to avoid a snake bite injury or something like that to cap this run off with something pretty special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the two additions help prevent the an injury, a big injury just derailing the season. Both those trades help bolster their depth. Uh, all right, let's go to the final division leader in the ALS, the Houston Astros. Three games ahead of the Angels right now, 60-47 and 47 record. Uh, they went out and got Scott Casimir a little bit ahead of the deadline. He's got a 210 ERA. I didn't know he was pitching so well in Oakland. I think that's a really good move for a really good uh, kind of secondary option for the Astros if you're not going to get Johnny Cueto or Cole Hamels. Scott Casimir is, is a great option, a uh, guy pitching into another contract year, getting up there in age, give, gives the rotation some veteran depth and some talent. I mean, he's he's pitching lights out. And they get Mike Fears in to, to bolster the back end of the rotation. And then they add Carlos Gomez, who uh, we talked a little bit about him last podcast. Uh, the trade fell through from the Mets, and the Astros swept in, gave some prospects away for Gomez. They have him under control for next year as well. So I think that was a good move. I, I like both of those moves, and I think uh, just like the Royals – a team that was in some mediocrity building up lots of prospects uh their time came maybe a little too soon sooner than they thought it would but they're still not scared to dish out good prospects for major league talent to help get them into the postseason i love the pitching moves they didn't need to make a big splash with their rotation they have a pretty strong rotation with keichel and Colin McHugh, and even Scott Feldman's not bad. Lance McCullers has pitched well for them, but it looks like he might be the odd man out. I think they just optioned him down to AAA. But Casimir and Fears are solid additions. I mean, Casimir, like you said, has pitched great in Oakland. He's sort of been an undervalued pitcher the last three years. I think he's had been one of those hidden gems of the American League. So certainly will help bolster them there in the middle to back into that rotation. But the big, the big get is Carlos Gomez, especially with George Springer down till at least mid-August. Maybe, who knows if he'll come back and how effective he'll be, but Gomez certainly helps replace that bat that they lost, and if Springer does come back, Springer, Gomez with Altuve leading off, they also have a couple of big bats in the middle there. That's a pretty strong offense combined with a solid rotation. Certainly a team that has the makings of a postseason appearance, and with the Angels kind of sliding a little bit, uh, they are in position to grab the division. I, I, I thought they'd be a wild card team. I thought that they would break out this year. That's the one pick I've been hanging my hat on in the American League. The other ones haven't gone so well. But uh, like you said, I think that they're sort of developing maybe a year earlier than most people expected, but they're not going anywhere. They got a lot of young guys on that team too. Yeah, I got a lot of young guys, a lot of young guys waiting to get called up. They, they were able to keep a lot of their top level prospects intact despite these trades gomez you know he's having a little bit of down year 258 batting average eight home runs only six stolen bases they have him for next year hopefully he can get back to the two, 2014 and 2013 form when he was hitting 284 23 home runs 34 stolen bases uh he, he he's shown that he can he has the talent to be one of the most exciting players in all of baseball uh this year he's struggled a little bit hopefully he can regain some of that form down the stretch for them. But fortunately they also have him for next year. He can uh, see if that talent comes back. Now Gomez originally was going to go to the New York Mets, which I thought was just as, just as well, a really good move for the Mets. Uh, They've been hanging out in second place in the AL East all season. Uh, Just last night they overtook the nationals to take first place. So now they have a game lead on the Washington Nationals, who would have thought that would happen in August with the New York Mets? They failed on Carlos Gomez. They backed out, claiming a hip injury. You had all the misreports. The the tweets go out that the deal was done. You know, you had that outfielder in tears with the report that he was getting traded. Uh, Zach Wheeler apparently made a plea to the GM to not get dealt in any deals. Who knows what was going on, what was happening. But instead of getting Gomez, they went out and got Yoannis Cespedes from the Detroit Tigers. 
who I think is a uh, well, he's having a better year than Carlos Gomez. He's an even better bat. He's he's crushing the ball with home runs, hitting for power. He's got a high average right now. I think it was a really good safe face move, and it probably positions them even better as a right-handed power bat. So I really like the trade, and he's already had a really good impact. He, I think he was like four for five the other night. So uh, I I like the move. What about you? Well, I like the move, but I also hate the move because I had Cespedes in an American League-only league, and if Gomez had gone to the Mets, Cespedes probably maybe would have gone to the Astros, and I would have been able to keep him on my team. I'm in a in a real quite tight race there are four guys fighting for first place and i really needed offense so that's a huge hole in my team now but that aside i love the move i think we said it, i think i said it maybe 20 times in our preview podcast the mets just needed to get a bat any bat and they went out and got three of them they got cespedes juan Uribe, and kelly johnson now the first two guys came early in the trade that uh, leading up to the trade deadline and everyone's like okay well they got some bats but these aren't exactly you know they're better than what they have but they're not exactly the elite bat they need Cespedes yeah. is just that you can slide him in at three or four he's a scary bat can you believe he's hitting like six in Detroit's lineup that's how good Detroit's lineup is right but Cespedes is just what this team needs a big scary bat to help what is a exceptionally challenged offense hopefully now with Cespedes, Uribe, Johnson and Curtis Granderson starting to play a little bit better that offense can turn around and have a strong second half to support what is a very elite rotation and don't overlook the fact that they went out and got Tyler Clippard from Oakland to help strengthen that bullpen as well so the Mets made some solid moves and yeah you're right Neither of us, we both thought the Mets would be intriguing. We certainly didn't think they would be a serious team. I I think we both had Washington running away with this division. The fact that they're in the lead and going neck and neck with the Nationals certainly is going to make everyone in D.C. sweat bullets. But, hey, it's one of the nice surprises of the baseball season so far. Yeah, absolutely. I I like surprises in baseball, especially when the surprise is beating out a $200 million payroll team. So that that's always good. The Mets are big spenders, so it's not that vindicating. But Cespedes, man, 295 batting average, 18 home runs, 61 RBIs. It's perfect for the Mets. Like you said, they have that great rotation. And I think it was a, a, a great uh, move not to trade Zach Wheeler, who is out with Tommy John. He had a really good, promising 2014 season. You're able to hold on to that arm. Now you, you have the benefit of having six solid starting pitchers all young and all promising. So that, that was a good coup for them. Um, all right. So the next big name we're going to talk about, uh, Cole Hamels, I, I have mixed feelings about it. He went to he, the Phillies trade him to the Texas Rangers who are 52 and 53 right now, seven games out of the Houston Astros and the AL West. I thought it was interesting that Texas was a player for Cole Hamels. Uh, the Phillies, by all accounts, um, you know, I'm not uh, well versed in prospects and and how talented they are, but by all accounts, the Phillies got a coup in in return for Cole Hamels. They got a ton of good prospects from the Rangers. Um, I I don't think the Rangers are a legitimate playoff contender. This, I mean, they. They are certainly in the thick of it with the 500 record, but I don't think they are as for real as some of these other teams who went out and got some really big pieces. Uh, Do you think that the Rangers just wanted to make a splash or are they positioning themselves for next year when you Darvish comes back? Now they have a really good one-two punch with Darvish and Hamels. Uh, What are your thoughts about them? Well, certainly this is a long this has to be looked at as a long-term move. I don't see how Texas could see itself as a contender this year even though technically everyone still was still kind of in the wild card hunt. If you're more than five games out of the wild card at this point, you're not a contender. And I don't think Texas is a team that people are going to look at it and say, oh yeah, they can make a run. Now certainly anything can happen, anyone can get hot. But if you're betting, you're going to bet against Texas making the playoffs, especially with teams like Minnesota, Toronto, Baltimore, New York, and the Angels, all looking pretty strong to either win their division or grab one of those wild card spots. I would say Texas is the weakest of all the teams that I just named. So 
it's an odd move if you look at it from 2015. But as you said, with you Darvish hopefully coming back next year, let's not discount the fact that this isn't the first year he's had injury problems. So we'll see if he does. That is a deadly one-two punch. But man, the Phillies got five prospects and Matt Harrison. I mean, they got a pro-level pitcher plus five prospects. That's a pretty solid haul. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about the prospects that they got because I haven't seen any of them play. They seem to be pretty well heralded. I saw somewhere that three they were three of the top five in the Rangers system. I mean, that that seems like a lot to give up for Hamels and his contract and the fact that you're going to have him on your team at least in, I think, 2020. So... I think Philadelphia did as best as it could getting a pro-ready pitcher, a pretty good one, even though his ERA is a little high right now, and five prospects. I mean, if three of these guys work out, you got to say that it's a big win for the Phillies. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure what the Phillies are paying on that. Do you know if they're if they're shipping cash with the deal? I don't know. I don't know offhand. I don't I didn't know what the I don't know what the financial situation is with who owes what money and whatnot that can get a little bit kind of detaily but not detaily but kind of confusing i guess but i don't i don't know if they're owing him money i don't yeah and i i seem to remember that the rangers are getting some kind of relief on on hamill's deal but i'm not sure but yeah i agree with you it is quite the haul uh quite impressive for uh the phillies when most people wanted them to trade Cole Hamels about a year, year and a half ago, and they thought that he was they weren't going to get uh, as much of a return as they were as they as they would have a year ago. But yeah, I think they I think they they came out really nicely, and it, it turns out that Cole Hamels still has value. So that that was very interesting. I wonder if the Rangers uh, overpaid. I I have to think that they did, considering that they, they almost gave six players for him. I mean, the guy threw a no-hitter. That certainly helped his trade value the week of the trade deadline. So that certainly helped drive the price up a little bit. But I I never thought they'd get five prospects and a pro-ready pitcher for him. Let's just put this in perspective. The Cleveland Indians traded two Cy Young winners the year after they won their Cy Young and got six total prospects in those deals. And both those deals combined. Now... Cole Hamels is certainly an elite pitcher, but we're talking two Cy Young winners the year after they won, and the Indians only got, I think, six or seven prospects total. These guys got five prospects and a pro-ready pitcher. I, I think the Phillies did as best as they could get. A pretty high price, and truth be told, I think the Yankees should have gone out and got Hamels, but... If that's the price you got to pay for him, I don't know if I would have paid it. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, it seems high, especially for a team that is looking to the future when making this move. You just kind of mortgaged your your younger future for Cole Hamels. So uh, that's a move that only time will tell. I certainly think that I don't expect them to make any noise this year. Look for it to pay off next year, and I guess we'll see. I'm I'm not sold on it, though. Yeah, and for the record, I am not a prospects guy. I love the oak that if you have a chance to win, prospects are prospects, they may not work out. But that's assuming you're only going to trade two or three at the most. When you're trading five plus a pro-ready pitcher, I mean, that's a lot. I, I, I don't think prospects are should be discarded, but I also think that when you're measuring, trying to win it, get to the playoffs and contend, you can mortgage your future a little bit. But I feel like five is a pretty steep price. I just... I don't know. I, I don't think I would have done that move. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have either. We can gloss over this. I don't think the, the Dodgers, their trade was um, too impactful. They they came out uh, when the dust settled with their 13-player, three three-team trade. They came out with Matt Latos and Alex Wood, plus uh, a prospect, Jose Peraza, who's probably going to take over shortstop next year. Uh, I thought... Those were good, solid moves that will help bolster the back end of that rotation that's shaky after you get past Kershaw and Granke. Uh, but, I mean, really, you just need those two guys, don't you? <laughs> oh, certainly. In the um, playoffs, you really only need those two guys. I mean, you need a uh, 
competent third starter, but if you got two big aces like that, you should be in good shape. Yeah. I mean, Latos has, has a 2.96 ERA since coming off the DL in June. I thought that was a good pickup. Alex Wood has lots of promise, if not injury problems, but uh, certainly he's he's a really good arm that has a lot of future in him. Uh, the interesting part about this trade, I think, was the the Dodgers essentially paid forty five million dollars to get these guys. They ended up giving up uh, one of their prized Cuban signings, Hector Oliveira, who's a third base shortstop combination. He's 30 years old. Just last year, they paid $62 million just to sign him. And now they packaged him to trade over to Atlanta for these pitchers. I think it just shows you just how strong the Dodgers' financial muscle is that they don't even need to give up prospects to get the players they want in return. They're giving up their their money to get these guys i think it's crazy yeah the dodgers are not going to be strapped for cash anytime soon let's just say that they can pretty much make any move they want whenever they want and you gotta start saying that the dodgers are the new yankees because this is a move these are the kind of moves the yankees used to make just say hey who cares just give us the player we'll take care of everything else we'll pay everyone's salary Okay, we'll have 15 guys in the deal and we'll pay all their salary. Just give us the best player. Like, who cares? This is the Dodgers now. They're essentially printing money over there in L.A. I don't know how they're doing it. It probably has something to do with the fact that they're in the second biggest city in the world, or in America, excuse me. But, yeah, they're certainly uh, loving that local TV deal they got going on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the only reason I want to touch on it. All right, let's move to some of the non-movers. We already talked about the Yankees. That was surprising. Uh, AL East, I think it was surprising the Boston Red Sox were quiet. I'm surprised they didn't flip uh, any anybody for, for anything. They didn't go all in. They didn't get prospects. I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I think the two most surprising ones past the Yankees were the Chicago White Sox and the San Diego Padres. Do you think either of those guys teams should have been playing in the market? Yes. I think the White Sox should have considered selling and the Padres definitely should have sold because both of those teams, we both had them in the playoffs. I, I don't think you had the White Sox. I had the White Sox. You may not have. But we both thought highly of them in the preseason, and they have certainly been disappointing, especially the Padres. They made a lot of trades preseason, shook up their team, and then they traded for Craig Krimbrell right as the season started. So they clearly thought they were a contender. Maybe they're just like, you know what, the damage is already done. We should ride this roster out as long as we can. But I don't know. I mean, I think there were some guys that could have been shipped off that were maybe some rentals or whatnot that they could have maybe gotten something for. Um, it was surprising to see the White Sox and Padres not make a move. Uh, the other team I kind of wanted to mention was the Twins. I don't think it's too surprising that they stayed pat and didn't do too much. That's not really their, yeah. their MO. And quite frankly, I. I wonder if they also believe that maybe they're peaking a little too soon and they don't want to mortgage anything for a team that might not be as good as its record would indicate. Certainly not trying to disrespect Minnesota for what it's accomplished, but I think of all the teams that are in contention for a playoff spot, they're the ones I'm least sold on. Yeah, me too. Uh, just because they have yet to call up their, their elite prospect talent, that's all. they're all waiting in AAA. Uh, I think they're pleasantly surprised by the success they've had this year. I think they're just waiting for next year, and they didn't want to give up any of that elite talent that they're going to call up. Um, One other, I mean, the Reds did make a couple trades. They traded Cueto and Mike Leak away. Both those guys are pitchers on expiring contracts. I'm surprised that Jay Bruce and Aroldis Chapman didn't get moved. Obviously, there's still the waiver deadline for trades, but... I found it interesting that the Reds didn't go all in on their fire sale. They only they kind of went half in, and they they kept some guys that definitely would have had some value uh, on the market. I think their asking price for those guys was a little high. I also saw a report that the owner didn't want to trade Tra- Chapman, so there may be some of that going on there. I don't know if that's true or not, but I certainly heard some reporting saying that the owner may not have wanted to trade Chapman. I think Jay Bruce, they, the Mets were interested, I read somewhere, but again, the price was just a little too high uh, to make a deal, or, or they, they wanted a higher price and they weren't willing to settle for less, which, you know what, I can't blame them. Uh, I don't necessarily think you should give guys away, especially if they're not going to be free agents next year. 
but it is kind of surprising that that they didn't go all in selling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the longer you wait, the idea is the less of a return you'll get. But if you're asking way too much, then I guess you just have to wait and come back down to reality to make the moves. Um, all right, the the last division lead, we we talked about most of the division leaders except for the St. Louis Cardinals. They were relatively quiet. Uh, added some bullpen arms. They added Brandon Moss, who we know in Cleveland. He's going to fill in for Matt Holiday and Matt Adams as they're on the DL. He's got a terrible batting average, but he still has 50 RBIs. I think that's a typical St. Louis Cardinal move to to stay quiet, to add a guy that uh, isn't flashy in any ways, but he's definitely going to serve a purpose. Uh, I I like everything the Cardinals do except hack other people. Um, <laughs> I, I like the move. I like the move too. I mean, the Cardinals, they're the gold standard, so they don't need to buy big, and they don't have many weaknesses on their team. They just made a couple of solid patching some holes moves, but nothing too splashy, but they didn't need anything too splashy. They just do what they do, and they're still winning. So until they start bottoming out, I'm going to kind of trust their process. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. Uh, anything we missed? I don't know if we talked about the Nationals. They got Papelbon and moving Drew Store into the setup role. I thought the bullpen was one of their bigger weaknesses, and so that certainly will help that out. And then the other two kind of minor ones was Pittsburgh added jo- Joaquim Soria, Matt Morris, and J.A. Happ. So just, again, some patchworking moves, nothing too flashy. And the Cubs got Dan Heron. So, again, you know, Heron's is certainly a solid pitcher, but – Again, it's not on the level of Johnny Cueto or David Price kind of headlines, but certainly some moves that some teams that, well, with the exception of National, the Pirates and Cubs are still in the hunt and just trying to kind of lightly go in without mortgaging any of their future. Pittsburgh, obviously, still in a very good position to make the playoffs. The Cubs kind of on the bubble there. And the Nationals, if they don't make the playoffs or even settle for a wild card, I think it would be kind of disappointing given the expectations they had going into the year yeah yeah definitely the Cubs I thought that was a nice move to not to kind of go halfway in but still wait for next year add Dan Heron another veteran pitcher who can lead help you guide you into the postseason with some leadership but uh, not command a price that would uh, screw you for later so I, I like the move me too all right Bob be careful what you wish for because last week you begged to talk about Deflategate more. And the NFL must have listened to the podcast and said, you know what, we're going to give Bob what he wants. We're going to make a decision this week. NFL, shockingly, upholds the four-game suspension. I mean, it helps when the guy who makes the suspension also rules on the appeal. I think that might have had something to do with it, too. So this this move is obviously one that a lot of people saw coming ever since the appeal process was heard. Probably a decision that could have been made the day after. But again, they wanted to look neutral, unbiased, all that fun stuff. And of course, give Tom Brady and his camp less time to appeal in court, which they have already done. So this thing will drag out even longer. Good news for you, Bob. We'll get to talk about it even more. What did you think of the decision and all the uh, revelations that came out of it? Uh, I, I, my, my, what, when we talk about deflate game, my first thought is always going to be that this is stupid. And, you know, the stuff that came out about him destroying his phone, the, the references to the deflator and all that. I mean, it's silly. Just, I mean, it, it needs to go to a court, get a judge and and hash this thing out the idea that roger goodell could hand down the ruling and then listen to the appeal that idea just seems silly to me it needs to be a, another person arbitrating once you go to your appeal even in the court of the nfl so uh it's yeah it's going to court i think we all knew it was going to go to court uh, some people were, were hopeful that there was going to be a reduced suspension but by all accounts brady is all or nothing and the NFL and Goodell, they're all or nothing as well. So it's, it's going to court and we'll see what happens there. And I, at this point, nothing new is coming out that is swinging my opinion either way. I think that Brady deserves some kind of punishment. I, 
you know, four games sounded fair to me. I thought that it would get reduced just because that's usually how you see appeals work out. But, um, there wasn't like a huge revelation. I mean, people were blowing up about the destroying his phones thing. It looks a little conspicuous, but it's also incredibly, uh, understandable that a celebrity would destroy his phones every so often. So I can't take too much into that. Um, there's, I, I, it's going to court, and we'll see what happens there when a judge makes a final ruling. Yeah, there's nothing shocking about what happened, but while I don't think it's shocking that Tom Brady would destroy his cell phone because if you're a public figure, any sort of public figure, much less the big name like Tom Brady, yeah, there's no way I'm chancing anyone getting my cell phone. I'm destroying it every time. That's not surprising. The surprising part, though two parts the timing of it is suspicious it certainly is suspicious and according to the report the investigators had obtained a older cell phone of tom brady that was not destroyed so that right there shows just a little inconsistent logic on tom brady's part i thought that's that finally shows the big that's a big weakness in his argument and it was a big point of attack from the NFL and I think the NFL really laid a strong groundwork in its defense of the lawsuit I thought Brady had a much better chance before that piece of information came out now I'm a little more doubtful that he will play all four games this year I think if they will reach a settlement and fall onto a two-game suspension I think that's where it will go. I don't think either side wants this to go to court. I think they both requested an expedited decision, so they should find out something before the season. I think it was September 4th or something around that time frame. But I don't think either side wants it to go that far. I think both sides have been dragged through the fire enough, and I think it's time that they just sit down, cash something out, Brady needs to just take his lumps or something. The NFL needs to swallow its pride to get a settlement together. There's no way the NFL is accepting a settlement that doesn't have Tom Brady suspended for some games. So if Tom wants a settlement, he's going to have to sit out at least one or two. I think that's the most likely course for this thing. Because I think if it goes to court, I, I think it's a coin flip. Most course cases are. I just don't know how the judge is going to see it. Is he going to say that the NFL violated its own process and overpunished him? Or is he going to say, no, you know what, Tom, you look guilty enough. I I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't think either side wants to chance looking very foolish. Yeah, it's just, I feel like um, they're they're both posturing on their sides, but for everyone on the outside our our opinions are either made up or there's enough there to rationally look at it and assume that Tom Brady knew something about this and he's not exactly being the most uh willing participant in the investigation that looks suspicious but it just seems like they they're they're shouting and pointing fingers and nobody's really like being swayed or, or listening to it at this point it they they really just need to come to an agreement and a conclusion and and just resolve this issue that's been going on for it's going to be nine months soon no certainly i mean it's gone on way too long and there's a lot of fault on both sides. I don't think the NFL's investigation was exactly the fairest investigation in the world. But again, I mean, when you're the Patriots, you put yourself in this position. I mean, you're going to get a lot of backlash. I mean, I don't think that either side is in the right here. But it, you're, you're right. It's all silly. The fact that it's gone on this long is silly. It just needs to go away. These guys just need to get something done at this point and focus on football. I'm sick and tired of deflate gate being in the headlines and everything. This needs to go away before the season starts. And hopefully, I mean, as a fan, I want to see Tom Brady play. As a Patriots fan, I definitely want to see Tom Brady play. Um, I'm of the ilk that I, I'm i on the side that the NFL's investigation wasn't exactly the fairest one, and I think he was overpunished. But, you know, I'm also a Patriots fan, so take that for what it's worth. But whatever it is, whatever you believe on the flake, I think we're all in agreement that this just needs to go away. 
Yes, definitely. All right, real quick, let's uh, move to some actual football talk about what's going on in the field. Uh, last week, US the, the Amway coaches poll got released for college football. Uh, I'm incredibly excited that football is just less than a month away at this point. Um, Ohio State was almost the unanimous pick to be the number one team. I'm surprised that they weren't unanimously picked, seeing how they lost was it two starters from the national championship team? Well, let's talk about it. It's the coaches poll. So I wonder if the two coaches teams that got number one votes maybe voted their own teams. Yeah. Well, the dude from TCU is probably just being shameless at this point, uh, the way he probably felt he got his team got treated last year. So that's not surprising. And then Nick Saban's just being Nick Saban. So yeah, you're right. But, hey, you know, I mean, it's not surprising what this poll looks like. I mean, Ohio State won the national title, and amazingly, none of their underclassmen declared for the draft. They only lost seniors. I think they only lost two or three starters. So they are locked and loaded. This is not surprising at all, especially the way they ended the season with three very big victories against they throttled Wisconsin. They beat Alabama and Oregon, the two teams that a lot of people thought were the two best teams all year. So they certainly proved themselves and made a huge statement last year with, by the way, a third-string quarterback who uh, certainly raised his uh, NFL profile a lot too. So Ohio State is certainly worthy of the number one ranking. I'm also not surprised that TCU got what I like to call a makeup vote, getting number two in the poll. Usually when you see a team get spurned that badly, it happened to Texas Uh, The year before the 2009 season, when they went to their second national championship, I didn't think they were deserving of the number two rank, but it wasn't surprising because they were outside looking in and it was kind of a makeup call. So I'm not surprised TCU is number two. Uh, The rest also doesn't surprise me. A lot of familiar faces, Alabama, Baylor, Oregon, Michigan State, Auburn, Florida State, your boys, Georgia. A little surprised USC got a high ranking. And then, of course, Notre Dame, they're always there. So... A lot of familiar faces in the top 10, but uh, the top five, no surprises at all. Yeah, I'm a little surprised Baylor is that high, uh, especially considering they, they lost Bryce Petty. But they've been recruiting really well and have been uh, really consistent in terms of success the past few years. So I guess it's deserving, deservingly so, such a high ranking. But yeah, uh, this ranking looks awfully similar to the recruiting rankings, the rankings from last year. Uh, it's the major players uh is there a team in the back half of the top 25 that you were surprised by or that you like that they're finally ranked uh not really i was surprised oklahoma as low as it was usually oklahoma is one of those kind of blue blood programs that's always in the top 12 wisconsin's maybe seems a little low too a team that was 11 and 3 and had a big bowl win i believe over auburn so Surprised they didn't get a little bit more respect, but to tell you the truth, nothing too shocking. Arkansas and Tennessee kind of surprised me too. I know the SEC is tough, but those two teams weren't that impressive last year. But I know Tennessee's got a lot bubbling in the pipeline. I don't know as much about Arkansas. And so a lot of familiar faces all around, but I guess those would be sort of the surprises if I had to pick a few. Yeah, um, Tennessee is mine. Um, Well, I'm not surprised. I guess I'm pleased that they're ranked because – they started a ridiculous amount of freshmen and sophomores last year. All those guys are back, bolstered by a couple top 10 recruiting classes. Uh, I think they got it right in naming them the top 25 because they're going to win a lot of games this year. All right, all right. Don't don't, don't ruin all your surprises until our college football preview there. But we'll see. I mean, look, again, I know Tennessee's got a lot bubbling in the pipeline, but at the same time, I mean, they weren't exactly that good last year. They still play in the SEC. Still a lot to prove on the field. I don't particularly like preseason polls for that reason because it's a lot of projecting and based on what happened last year as opposed to what's going to happen this year. I, if I had my way, I would get rid of preseason polls and not vote until like three or four weeks into the season. Yeah, that would be smart to do. Um, hey, the coaches poll got right last year, though, the preseason poll. No, that's true, and most of the time they do, but did they get it right, or did they just refuse to change their line of thought for fear of getting it wrong? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. You can look at it, but look, I do think the four t- 
teams that made the playoff last year were the four most deserving teams. I I, I agreed with their choices last year, and there's always going to be a fifth and sixth team that got spurned. I mean, Michigan State last year, their only two losses were to the two teams playing for the national championship. So, I mean, if you're the Spartans, you feel a little irked. On one hand, they kind of got eliminated on the field, but on the other hand, they only lost to the two best teams in the playoff. Certainly, if it were an 18 postseason, they'd be a team to watch. So, there's always going to be a few teams left out if you're only going to take four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's for sure. And, you know, the, we, we can debate this a lot longer, but I think with the four-team college football playoff, the way the way it works, uh, the conference championship means speaks volumes to have that extra game on your resume to differentiate yourself from everybody else um i think it's why the big 12 is going to get screwed again this year uh, oh it was conference championship it was paramount and unless the big 12 goes undefeated if if there's an undefeated team they'll get in but i agree with you if there are one lost big 12 team and you've going up against the team that played 13 games and won a conference title game certainly that puts you at a disadvantage and it wouldn't surprise me if the big 12 adds two teams in the next few years here uh, I have some theories on that, but we won't extend the topic too long. We're just going to do a little quick one here. We will obviously have a lot more football coming down the pipeline here in August. It's football season, high school football around the corner, college, the pros, fantasy football, real football, lots of football. So we are going to have a lot more a lot more football around the corner, but for now... We're going to have to call it a little quits here, but please continue to check us out on FenleyRoadSports.com. We'll have some blog posts out there for you this week. Follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports, and on Instagram, FenleyRoadSports. We once again thank you. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe via iTunes. You can find the link on our FenleyRoadSports.com site. And please come back for another episode of What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com where we will have more sports talk and, if you didn't know, more football on the horizon. But until then, (laughs) take care. All right, I'll see you, Chris. All right, man. Take it easy, Bob.